Hi, I'm Allison. And I'm Taylor. And we're the hosts of the Anxiety Chicks podcast, where we dive deep into the reality of anxiety, nutrition, and mental health. Listen as we explore all things anxiety healing while keeping it real, including our own struggles with mental health. We'll bring our expertise as healing professionals to the conversation while discussing the tools and strategies you need to heal the anxious mind. Listen to the Anxiety Chicks on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Chicks podcast. I'm Allison Sepinera. And I'm Taylor. Go ahead, oh. Taylor. <laughs> I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to do that. And that's why I didn't say anything. Sorry, guys. Taylor actually has an amazing guest today. So I wanted her to take the take the reins. So I was quiet for a second. I did that on purpose. I'm sorry. (laughs) So so Dr. Ronnie is here with us and she's going to be kicking off our doctor series. So we're going to have a bunch of different doctors come on and they're going to talk about their correlation with anxiety and what they see a lot in their practice. And we'll just talk through it. Obviously, Dr. Ronnie is not your doctor. So anything that you are experiencing medically, go check out with your personal doctor. Her advice today is not medical advice. It is just a casual conversation we're having with her. Um, So Dr. Ronnie is America's integrative eye doctor. She's a board-certified ophthalmologist and fellowship-trained neuro-ophthalmologist with additional training in integrative and functional medicine. Dr. Ronnie focuses on the root cause of eye disease and uses integrative strategies for conditions such as thyroid eye disease, macular degeneration, cataracts, dry eye, glaucoma, and other autoimmune diseases of the visual system. Her treatments are based on nutrition, botanicals, did I say that right? <laughs> Lifestyle mm-hmm. modification, essential oils, and supplements. Dr. Ronnie runs a private practice based in New York City and is also associate professor at Mount Sinai in New York City, where she serves as an educator and researcher. As principal investigator of several clinical trials in disease of the optic nerve, Dr. Ronnie uses cutting edge approaches such as nanotechnology and gene therapy. So cool. Um, Dr. Ronnie is frequently featured as an expert in the media and has been interviewed on Good Morning America, CBS, NBC, ABC, The New York Times, The Washington Post, and Fox, amongst amongst many others. Dr. Ronnie has been voted as Castle... Ooh, what's this word? Connolly. Connolly. Okay. (laughs) Castle Connolly, top doctor, and New York Magazine's best doctor in ophthalmology every single year since 2017. Guys, she is top notch. So, I mean, if you want to fly to her, (laughs) do it. (laughs) Um, But she will be talking at the end about some of the courses she offers and just everything that she can provide for you guys. But Dr. Ronnie, I would like you to just first introduce yourself. What made you so passionate about the eyes? And a little bit also about, I think some people were confused what neuro-ophthalmology is versus just normal. So if you could... Absolutely. Well, first of all, thank you both so much for having me. I was just so, so excited to to get this invitation because I think um, topics relating 
to um, anxiety and other mental health issues around vision are just not talked about enough. Um, and so I'm really, really excited to share my yeah. my thoughts and my experiences with you all. So to answer your question, what got me interested in ophthalmology? Um, back when I was in medical school, I was shadowing different types of doctors to try to figure out what I wanted to do after medical school. And I shadowed a family friend who was doing his training in ophthalmology, and I fell in love with the eye. It's just such a fascinating organ. You know, it's small. It's only about the size of a golf ball, but it's so complex and so critical to everything we do you know, what would we do without our vision? And mm -hmm. so I just fell in love with it. And the fact that um, being able to restore someone's vision or help them with their vision can impact their lives so much, I found it really gratifying. So that's why I ended up going into the field. And then your next question, what is neuro-ophthalmology? So um, it is basically, it's a, it's a subspecialty that bridges neurology and ophthalmology uh, because the eye is so intimately connected with the brain. The eye is actually part of the central nervous system. It's an extension of the brain. And so there are many visual pathways. And I think our brain is responsible, uh, sorry, 50% of our brain has to do with our vision. So our brain is really vision kind of heavy in terms of, you know, how it works, the networks. And so in neuro-ophthalmology, I, I evaluate all of that. You know, how does vision, you know, how is uh, vision affected by brain issues? So I deal with people with vision problems related to uh, brain strokes or tumors or multiple sclerosis, um, migraines. So that's kind of how that field uh, works. And it's, it's, a, it's really a, a wonderful, intellectually challenging field. I, lo I love it. That's so amazing. And I asked you before we started the podcast, too, I was like, do you ever, you know, because I'm not expecting you to be an anxiety expert, but I was like, how often do you see people talk about anxiety or like seem very anxious about their eyes? And you made a facial expression like, yeah, I see that a lot. So uh, maybe you could speak on that a little bit. Yeah. So, um, so many people come to me not as their for their first opinion. They come as their second, third, or fourth opinion usually. Mm. So they've already seen their eye doctor. They've already gotten their diagnosis in most cases. And they come to me because they're still struggling. And I think one of the most, you know, the, one of the first things I ask them about is, you know, what's going on in your life? Uh, are you stressed? Uh, are you anxious? Where are these stresses coming from? Because a lot of that, you know, aspect of things gets incorporated into how they manage their eye issue. And again, many other eye doctors, maybe they've seen like other people in the past, but they haven't really addressed that. So uh, my patients oftentimes, once they realize, okay, how is this all tying together? How is my mindset playing into this as well? Um, then they can be better equipped to manage their eye issue and move on. Yeah. Many people almost get stuck. Like, okay, I have this problem. I've been diagnosed with floaters or dry eye or whatever yeah. it is. And it's very scary, you know, to think mm -hmm. that, oh, I have this eye problem. How am I going to deal with it? And then when it starts to affect their function, that's when things really start to fall apart. You know, people say, I never had this before. Why does, why is, you know, my eyes, where are my eyes deteriorating? I feel like my vision's falling apart. But once they realize what's going on and how their own response to their eye problem is kind of playing into the whole picture, then they can move forward and finally start to get better and, um, get functional again. I mean, that's really yeah. the goal is to help people be as functional as possible. Oh, yeah. I'm so passionate about this because personal experience, I um, 
went through, I, my whole life, I didn't really, I think I had high functioning anxiety. I'm a perfectionist. I always push myself. And then I got hit with panic disorder. And when I got hit with panic disorder, a huge symptom of, and health anxiety, a huge symptom for me was the floaters. Come to find out I had always had eye floaters, but with my anxiety, it became my hyper focus. And so everywhere I would look, white walls, the sky, I would just see these floaters and be like, I'm losing my vision. I've do- I went doctor to eye doctor to eye doctor being like, this isn't okay. Something is wrong. You guys aren't finding it. And so I can't even begin to tell you, Dr. Ronnie, when I posted that question box, how many people commented on, my doctor says my eye floaters are uh, are okay, but I just don't believe them. Like this doesn't seem right. And they just focus and focus and focus on them. And I feel like when you focus on them more, you can almost see them more and create yeah. them more. Yeah. And uh, so maybe our first question, let's kick it off with eye floaters. What are they? So they are basically inside our eye, we have a jelly in the back of the eye that helps to keep the shape of the eye. And inside that jelly, it's mainly made out of water, but there's also collagen and other proteins in there. And so when we're younger, the jelly's more firm like jello. But as we get older, it starts to liquefy. And when the jelly liquefies, we start to see these pieces of collagen floating around in there. So it's a natural part of your eye that has changed. It's, I don't want to say deteriorated, but it's changed in its composition. And now we can see the collagen. And basically, whenever light comes, comes in kind of like what you were describing you know when you look at a white wall you see the floaters when you look at a bright blue sky you see the floaters when there's high contrast people see these floaters floaters more because that bright light coming into the eye is casting a shadow from the floater onto the back of the eye and that's what you, you're seeing as the floater they're very common. Um, yep. So if you have them, you're you're actually in the majority because um, over 80%, I think the number is 86% of people have floaters. Wow, um, guys, did y'all hear 80, that? <laughs> and, I, and actually, oh many my God. people, like you said, probably had them before and they just never mm-hmm. really paid attention to them. And then something happened to make them aware of them. Like, for mm-hmm. example, I have floaters and I had floaters since I was five years old. And I remember, I remember the moment when I first noticed them and I was like, mom, what's that fly like in the room? And I thought (laughs) it was a bug, but it was actually a floater. And there were times in my life when I don't notice my floaters at all. And then there are times in my life when they are so irritating. They're Mm -hmm. constantly in the way and I kind of have to move my eyes around to get them out of the way and they affect my vision. And I do notice that when I'm under stress, my my, my floaters are more bothersome. When I'm not under stress, when I'm more relaxed and I'm just going about my daily life, um, as you said, you know, not being hyper-focused on them. Yes, they're there, but I'm not hyper-focused on them, pun intended. Um, I don't, it, they don't bother me. So I think my what I, my strategy is when I see patients with floaters, when they're really bothered by them, I try to have them put things in perspective and have them realize that they can still see. Yes, the floaters are there, but they can still see. And I try to teach them how to kind of see past their floaters and train their brain to almost ignore the floaters. Yes, they're there, mm-hmm. but you can still have 20-20 vision despite your floaters. You can do everything you need to do despite your floaters. Mm-hmm. Um, that's my approach. And I try to tell them, like, for me, being an eye doctor, I have floaters, but it hasn't kept me from what I do. I can still do surgery. I can still operate under a microscope, surgical microscope, despite my floaters. I can still do things like that. So if I can do that, you can do many things in your life despite the floaters. 
Oh my gosh, you're amazing. And that, literally my doctor, my eye doctor too, she has them as well. When I explained them to her, she was like, I also have them. And it's so funny when you start talking to a, you know, you start taking senses from everybody, everybody seems to have them. So it's like, sometimes you can feel super alone when it happens to you. Cause you're like, I'm going crazy. I'm seeing, like you said, little flies and they won't get out of my way. But then when you start talking to a lot of people and educating yourself, which we always say is the first step with anxiety is education. You kind of, like you said, you accept them. They're, I, I kind of see them as my friends. They're there. <laughs> hey guys, like, you know, and I live my life with them, but I know that some days are worse and some days are better. And I know that they're okay, but here's the question I had for my eye doctor. Is there any type of treatment? Yes. So um, for the majority of people, floaters are not too bothersome, but for people who are really bothered by them, if they really feel like they can't function just with their floaters, there, there are two options that are out there and they are FDA approved, these two options. Uh, one is actually a laser to try to break up the floater. Um, In some cases, the floaters, if they're small enough, they may actually just disintegrate. But in my experience, people who've had laser for floaters, what they do is a laser actually just takes a big floater and breaks it up into smaller pieces. And I actually have have had patients who've had the laser done and they end up being worse off because Mm -hmm. instead of having a big floater, now they have lots of tiny little ones. The other option, which is not something I recommend, and it really is last resort because I've seen some not so good things happen from this particular procedure, is to have a procedure called a vitrectomy. And a vitrectomy is where a retina doctor goes in and actually literally removes all the jelly from the back of the eye. That jelly gets replaced by saline. And when the jelly is removed, the floaters are removed. Um, it's not a benign procedure because with that type of surgery, as with any kind of procedure, there can be risks. And I've actually seen, I have one patient who completely lost vision complications mm. of surgery. Ooh, like a yeah. person who was so bothered by his floaters, he decided to get this done and ended up waking up blind from his surgery. So yeah. I would definitely say it's something that, yes, it can be done, but talk to your doctor about it, get all the pros and cons before you do anything that's a procedure. That's my yeah. my recommendation. Yeah. I can't imagine that that's um, something that people, I know my age, I'm going to be 43 this year. And I definitely have noticed the last couple of years that they've been, I've just been noticing them more. And, and as- Oh my gosh, I, you have them too? Yeah. Well, look at there. Right now, I've been noticing them more as I age, though. Like I, like I could even like feel them right now. I could like I could see them, and I'm like, oh, that's what they are. I've never had anxiety about them. I've never really felt anxious about them. I think that's something that's just not part of my fear of anything. Um, but now that now that we're talking about it, I'm like, oh gosh, now I can kind of see them. I'm like, oh wait. <laughs> I don't know if I want to know about this, um, but I can, I, I, when you said how kind of a strategy is trying to, it's a cognitive, it's part of like your cognition of what resonated with me about, okay, changing your perception of, of what you think about what they are. So, right. So again, it goes back to like your thoughts and the fear around it. And for me, I liked that strategy you said, because um, even talking about it now, I started feeling a little bit more anxious that, oh my gosh, now I know what these are. I can see them. But as I look around like my space where I'm at, 
it's it's really not scary to me because I still know what I see around me. I'm kind of using my sense, like my my sense of eyesight, and and the strategy I use. One strategy is. I love is like the five senses to make me feel grounded when I'm anxious, where I look around me and describe what I see. I kind of feel what I'm wearing and it brings me back to the present moment. And I feel like I could do this well if, you know, with these floaters, like with my sight, just looking around and really saying kind of where I am and what I see. And it'll kind of bring me outside of the floaters, you know, because yes. I'm describing Absolutely. what I see around me, you know? Yeah. And and one, you know, kind of an analogy is we all during the course of the day, we all have little aches and pains, right? Like little things that bother us in our body. And, you know, usually it's very mild and we just kind of ignore it. It's there, but we don't focus on it. And, but if we, you know, if we did focus on it, you can imagine how debilitating that could be. If we focused on every little ache, pain or itch or sore that we had, it would be really hard to get through the day. But our brain kind of filters that information out and we move on and we continue doing what we need to do. And the same thing with floaters. Like if you can allow your brain to focus focus more on other things. Like look at the beautiful, you know, flowers outside, you know, now it's winter, but you know, when yeah. spring comes or, or listen to some music and ba- basically train your brain to not focus on the floaters, but to enjoy other senses. I think that really helps. I love how you put that, you know, just kind of ground yourself in other senses and you'll be able to get through your day. I love that so much. Uh, Oh my gosh. Once again, you're amazing. Um, The next thing that was commonly posted is people who go into say like a Target or Walmart where you have those fluorescent lights and they are like, my anxiety is immediately triggered by those fluorescent lights. I feel dizzy. I feel weird. My vision feels weird. Why does that happen to some people? Why are some people so sensitive to light? Yeah. So the thing about fluorescent lights is that Um, they flicker and they flicker at a very high rate. So maybe our brain doesn't register that the light is flickering, but it is. And our eyes can sometimes pick it up. So that's why flickering lights are so bothersome or even just fluorescence are so bothersome because they're constantly, imagine something's constantly going on, off, on, off, on, off at this very rapid rate, super high frequency. It's going to irritate your eyes because we have sensors in our eyes that are are, are, um, are geared towards picking up different wavelengths. And so those particular wavelengths are being picked up by certain cells in our eyes that can trigger the pain pathway. And that's why people have light sensitivity. That's why people feel dis, you know, uncomfortable, discomfort with certain types of light. Um, and so um, that particular symptom of going into a store where you have these just rows and rows and rows of overhead lights, they're bright, but they're also flickering, can be really bothersome. And a simple strategy I have for my patients is just wear like a baseball cap when you're going in one of those stores, because it will just block, you'll still be able to see, but it'll just block that soup, you know, that light that's coming from above. Um, the other thing you can do is, I mean, it's, it's known, it's not, it's not the most practical, but would, would be to wear, uh, sunglasses indoors, um, specific types of sunglasses that would block out those particular wavelengths of light. Um, I particularly like there's a um, there's a brand uh, I have no financial interest in this, but um, there's a brand called Axon Optics and they make these migraine glasses and they're called Axon. 
How, how do you spell that? Axon, A-X-O-N, like a nerve axon. Okay. Um, and so axon optics. And um, they make this um, this tint that's like a rose-colored tint. So it's basically like looking at the world through rose-colored glass glasses. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it really, it's been scientifically proven to block out those wavelengths that cause light sensitivity. So they have different grades. And you can go on their website and see like what types of tints they have. They have like an indoor grade and an outdoor grade, so a lighter tint and a darker tint. But it really, really helps to cut that light sensitivity if you're indoors and it's really just really uncomfortable. Wow. That's okay. That that's yeah, that's amazing. So somebody did say, um, can anxiety contribute to photosensitivity? Is photosensitivity a diagnosis? It is. And we interchangeably use photosensitivity or photophobia. Photophobia basically means a fear of light, um, which is not really a fear, but it's more like a discomfort of light. But yes. um, And I think that in some ways, that relationship between anxiety and photosensitivity may be a chicken or egg scenario, depending on who the person is. So the question is, we are all exposed to these types of lights, you know, depending on where we are. Um, if we're already anxious, could those lights be more of a trigger for us or vice versa? Is the light triggering the anxiety? Um, I, again, I think it could go both ways, but mm-hmm. the best thing is to, um, at least for the light sensitivity part, is to shield your eyes in some way, either with a hat or with sunglasses. And then for the anxiety part, um, if, if I have a patient who knows that they're triggered, like for example, some people are working from home, but some people who are now going back into the office, a lot of offices also have those overhead, mm. overhead lights, you yeah. know, rows and rows and rows. And yeah. some people just can't function at their workstation with those overhead lights. So I, you know, I basically teach my patients how to kind of optimize their workstation environment, but also the mindset is really important that, um, that they can, you know, just kind of to go into the mindset where they're not scared of going into that environment, that they're ready, they're mentally prepared to deal with it. And I think that helps quite a bit as well. Um, if you are aware of it and you're, you have, you're empowered with the tools you need to deal with the situation in that environment, I think that makes a big difference. I, I love that. Just so this is kind of what we talk about with anxiety, Allison, is when you begin to educate yourself on these things and you recognize Susan, Joe, Allison, Taylor, Dr. Ronnie, we all experience these things. It's when you put that hyper focus on things that things can sometimes become such a big deal and you almost focus on it more. So like if the overhead lights bother, bother you and then you just continually focus on that fluorescent light it's going to get bigger like in your vision because it's all you're thinking about seeing all your senses are focused on that fluorescent light. But when you recognize, you know, Hey, this happens to a lot of people. It's no big deal. Like you said, looking at the bigger picture, I can still see, I can still see, I can still do my daily functions. And then I think going on about that, I think people feel a lot more at peace because they recognize this is a common thing and I'm going to be okay. And then once people know that they're going to be okay, I feel like they can breathe. I, I am curious about that too. And if you have anything to say on the per, like you're talking about, yeah, there's, there's so there's people, well, I'm, I guess my question is just like, are there people that are, have just more sensitive eyes? Because it could be, yes, a perception where like, we're all experiencing these things and maybe someone just has a bigger fear of, you know, the brightness or whatever that phobia would be. Um, but are there people that actually are like more sensitive to light and, 
Yes, that's a great question, Allison. So um, two, two main categories of people. So first of all, people who have lighter colored eyes are definitely more sensitive to bright lights. So whether it's blue eyes, (laughs) green eyes, hazel eyes, um, there's just less pigment in the eyes. And so less filtering out of light. Um, That's kind of a a simplification of the explanation. But yes, just in general, people who have lighter tinted eyes or or fair, fair skin, fair eyes, fair, you know, light hair, et cetera. Um, The second group of people who are very light sensitive are people who are predisposed to migraine. Mm-hmm. And that's also something I see a lot of in my practice. Um, um, it wasn't in my bio, but I would say migraine is about 50% of what my patients come to see me for, mm-hmm. uh, especially being a neuro-ophthalmologist, because a lot of them do have the light sensitivity. They have the aura, which is seeing flashing lights, can, which can also be anxiety provoking. Um, and so in general, people who are prone to migraine, or if you have a family history of migraine, these uh, types of people are much more predisposed to being light sensitive. Um, and then some people just develop light sensitivity as they get older, and there's no clear-cut explanation for why that happens. Um, but that's another group of people. Definitely, I've seen people who are in their 60s, 70s, 80s who definitely develop it. They, they never had it young when they were younger, um, in their younger adulthood or in their childhood, they never had it. But then suddenly, almost overnight, it seems to come on. Yeah, that makes that makes sense um, for the sensitivity of what like I've heard as I am getting older. <laughs> people have been telling me, you know, not scientifically. Um, but I'm curious also about what you've seen in your practice with migraines and how connected people come that come to see you that have migraines also have anxiety because I have worked with a lot of people in my practice who. I, I specialize in anxiety disorders, and so it's a high percentage percentage of them have migraines, struggle with migraines. And I'm just curious, you know, just in your experience, if you've seen that. Yeah. So I'm going to answer it. I'm going to slightly reframe your question. And okay. Yeah. Right. Um, in terms of migraine, usually there are triggers. Uh, so whether your trigger is lack of sleep or dehydration. Um, Uh, Certain foods can be triggers, but the one main trigger that almost everyone has in some shape or form is stress. And when it comes to migraine, I would say stress is the elephant in the room. Um, And for many people, it's yes, they may be dehydrated. They may have, you know, not had enough sleep the night before, but it's that stress that tips them over the edge to having a migraine attack. And so I think managing that is a huge part of the battle when it comes to migraine, managing your stress. And of course, stress goes hand in hand with anxiety. Um, when people are stressed, they are more anxious. And um, and then that may, uh, uh, what we say, lower your migraine threshold, meaning you're, you may be predisposed to migraines, but if you lower the migraine threshold, you're more likely to actually have a migraine attack. So that is not a good combination, unfortunately. Yeah. And so I think addressing that and... Um, I hate to say this, but, you know, I I have migraine myself and I'll just give you my story. Um, I went to all the top doctors in New York City for my migraine and I wasn't getting better. They put me on medication Mm -hmm. after medication after medication and nothing was working. And it wasn't until I finally tried to figure out for myself, okay, what are my triggers for migraine? Mm -hmm. Yes, they were all those lifestyle factors, too much caffeine also, but the stress was the key thing. And it wasn't until I finally addressed the stress 
that I started to get better mm-hmm. and be able to m- better manage my migraine and have fewer attacks and less severe migraine. And that's something I always talk to my patients about is um, what are your triggers for migraine? What are the stresses in your life? Where are they coming from? Is it your, um, you know, your work situation? Is it school? Is it something that's going on with a family member, a friend? You know, wherever the stress is coming from, it's important to have a strategy to address it because that will be more than half the battle when it comes to managing the migraine. And then also going back to a little bit about specifically about anxiety and migraine, there's also that chicken and the egg question here. Um, Does anxiety trigger migraine? And for many people, it absolutely does. When they're very anxious, they're much more likely to have a migraine attack. But also the migraine triggers anxiety because if you have migraine, or chronic migraine, let's say, or frequent migraine, many people get very anxious. Oh my God, when is my next attack going to be like, can I get through this day? Am am I going to be struck with another migraine? And there's that fear of Mm -hmm. when is the next one going to come? And is it going to really debilitate me? And am I going to have to end up in bed because of this, you know, condition that I have? So it can definitely go both ways. Yeah. I've seen that a lot, like I said, with my clients, um, and a lot of a lot of what I work on with them is kind of preventative measures for them. Um, I do a lot of holistic and mindfulness work. So, what kinds of like exercises and strategies do they recognize? Like when they can start recognizing if something is coming on. Sometimes they just can't, right? It just comes on. But if they can practice some of these exercises that we do together, it really helps them a lot. Um, and it's, it's so hard too, because sometimes, like you said, those thoughts of like, well, when's the next one going to happen? It's kind of like a panic attack, you know? It's like, oh my gosh, it's, it, it's happened before and that's the worst feeling ever. When is it going to happen again? And that's like the anxiety behind that is just ugh, not the not knowing. And you, you know, you hate the feeling, you know? It's, I, I love what you said earlier that with your clients, you, you do work with them on that. I mean, I found that um, breath work and meditation oh my gosh. can make such a difference when so, it comes yeah. to migraine. And also some of the other eye conditions we're talking about also. Like if you can ground yourself in those practices, you're you know so much better off in terms of managing the issue if it does happen. Yeah. Yeah. So Thank you. That, that leads into actually a really big one, which is I'm sure... Typical children's vitamins are basically candy in disguise, filled with two teaspoons of sugar, unhealthy chemicals, and other gummy junk growing kids should never eat. That's why Haya was created, the pediatrician-approved super-powered chewable vitamin. While most children's vitamins are filled with five grams of sugar and can contribute to a variety of health issues, Haya is made with zero sugar and zero gummy junk yet it tastes great and is perfect for picky eaters just like myself. Haya fills in the most common gaps in modern children's diets to provide the full body nourishment our kids need with a yummy taste they love. Formulated with the help of nutritional experts, Haya is pressed with a blend of 12 organic fruits and veggies, then supercharged with 15 essential vitamins and minerals, including vitamin D, B12, C, zinc, folate, and many others to help support immunity, energy, brain function, mood, 
concentration, teeth, bones, and more. It's non-GMO, vegan, dairy-free, allergy-free, gelatin-free, nut-free, and everything else you can imagine. Haya is designed for kids of all ages and sent straight to your door so parents have one less thing to worry about. I sent a box over to my niece and the first thing she said was, these are delicious. But the best part about Haya is that kids also get to decorate the container it comes in. Haya provides the cutest stickers for the case and even some for your kid's face. We've worked out a special deal with Haya for their best-selling children's vitamin. Receive 50% off your first order. To c- claim this deal, you must go to HayaHealth.com slash AnxietyChicks. This deal is not available on their regular website. So go to H-I-Y-A-H-E-A-L-T-H dot com slash AnxietyChicks and get your kids the full body nourishment they need to grow into healthy adults. You're trying to find a cause for your symptoms, rapid heartbeat, anxious thoughts that won't go away, maybe even constant FOMO. So you grab your phone and stumble down a TikTok rabbit hole full of questionable advice from so-called experts. Take it from us. There are better ways to get answers you want and the care you deserve from trusted professionals and not random people on the internet. Sometimes that early morning lemon water that beauty vlogger praise doesn't do the trick. ZocDoc helps you find expert doctors and medical professionals that specialize in the care you need and deliver the type of experience you want. ZocDoc is the only free app that lets you find and book doctors who are patient-reviewed, take your insurance, are available when you need them, and treat almost every condition under the sun. When you're not feeling your best and you're just trying to hold it together, finding great care shouldn't take up all your energy. That's where ZocDoc comes in. Using their free app that millions of users already rely on, you can find the right doctor that meets your needs and fits your busy schedule. Book an appointment with just a few taps in their app and start feeling better faster with ZocDoc. ZocDoc is perfect to help you find your next therapist, eye doctor, dentist, and even OBGYN. Go to ZocDoc.com slash AnxietyChicks and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. Many are available within 24 hours. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C dot com slash AnxietyChicks. ZocDoc.com slash AnxietyChicks. you've heard a lot of this is the eyelid twitching people mm, yes. go off the wall with <laughs> eyelid twitching i yeah. used to have it i reckon it's funny i i dealt with health anxiety but for some reason i was very chill about okay my eyelids twitching i didn't sleep that much last night like i kind of correlated those on my own but some people they just really they're like i'm about to have a stroke i'm about to like yeah. they just really can't handle the eyelid twitching can yeah. anxiety and stress cause eyelid twitching? And why does it happen? Absolutely, yes. 
So um, it's, it's, I'm glad you brought this up because I actually wrote a paper on this like years ago on the major causes of eyelid twitching. And I think it was one of the first papers ever published about specifically just about eyelid twitching. And so basically I looked at people who had, had chronic eyelid twitching. You know, we've all had eyelid twitches that come and go, like you mentioned, like if you don't sleep enough, you know, you get a day when it's twitching. But when it continues, that's when people get even more anxious about it. Like, what does it mean? You know, do I have MS? Do I have this? Do I have that? All these thoughts go through people's heads. And yes, sometimes the eyelid twitch can be persistent. It may last not just a, you know a day, but days or weeks or even months on end before going away. But I'll tell you that in most cases, eyelid twitching is benign and it usually resolves on itself. Uh, but you have to consider your lifestyle, you know, whatever's going on, whether it be stress, lack of sleep, dehydration, and too much caffeine. I would say of the lifestyle factors, those are the most important to look at. And the other one that most doctors don't ask about or talk about is um, magnesium. So many people who have eyelid twitches are deficient in magnesium. And by simply taking a magnesium supplement or including more magnesium-rich foods in your diet, it can make all the difference in stopping even a chronic eyelid twitch. So uh, just keep in mind, if you have it, it's normal. It happens. Even kids get it. Even my daughter, who's now 15, sometimes she gets eyelid twitches and she's like, mom, hey, how do I make this go away? <laughs> um, we've all had it. We all probably will have it multiple times during our lives, but it's treatable and um, and it's benign. So just keep that in mind. I will say though, just, you know, just as a red flag, like things to watch out for with eyelid twitches. If it's not just your eyelid that twitches, if it's other parts of your face as well, definitely get it checked out. If it's just a little, you know, a little lid, your upper or lower lids twitching, that's okay. That's benign. But if it involves the cheek, if it involves a lower face, your neck, your forehead, definitely get that checked out because it could be something else, a different type of spasm. Um, or if you have anything else, like for example, I've had some patients who not only have eyelid twitches, they have twitches through their whole body. And um, I actually had a patient who came in just like two months ago. He's been having twitches. Like you could see he took video of his of his hands twitching, his, um, his abdomen twitching, his legs twitching. And usually that's a sign of something more systemic. Again, probably like a magnesium deficiency or some other nutrient deficiency, but definitely get that checked out. I mean, as they've done in recent studies how deficient people in the United States are from magnesium. It is a high, high, high percentage. So I think it's a great thing to supplement no matter who you are. And I mean, even just like Epsom salt baths, I know they said, I mean, it's not that absorbable into the skin, but even just a little bit, you know, with kids or something. Uh, but yeah, oh my gosh, I love that so much because yeah, when I was going through finals week during my master's program, I was having eyelid twitches and it was not good or comfortable, but yeah, I love that. Um, I'll add next- just one more, just, just one more, one more thought about eyelid twitches. So um, there are some people who have persistent eyelid twitches that last over six months. And if at that wow. point, if everything you've done hasn't helped, you know, the, the, um, changing in your lifestyle habits hasn't helped and decreasing caffeine and taking magnesium, if none of that helps, there is one final option, which is Botox. And I usually heard heard it for, again, the people who have not gotten better after months and months and months, a tiny, tiny bit of Botox into the lid can get rid of it like that. Yeah. It is, can be curative. So um, just, you know, keep that in mind. If you've had this persistent twitches, go talk to your eye doctor, maybe get like a a touch of Botox and that'll take care of it. 
Okay, wait. Now that we're on that topic, migraines and Botox, do you actually see a difference in patients? So, or is um, that just Botox is FDA approved for migraine? Uh, mm-hmm. When it's given for migraine, it's a very specific regimen. It's given mm-hmm. not like the cosmetic type of Botox. Right. It's given in the forehead, into the scalp, or no, under the forehead, into the back of the of the scalp, and down into the neck and shoulders. And it's 165 units of Botox per treatment. That's wow. a lot of Botox. That's a lot. <laughs> Tremendous amount of Botox. And oh it's given every like- three months. And wow. my experience is, first of all, I'm not a big proponent of Botox for migraine. Yeah. Because I think the lifestyle factors can take care of, of migraine for the majority of people. But if someone has chronic migraine, they want to pursue it. I would say try it and try it for at least three times. So basically every three months, three times, so that's nine months, try it for nine months. If it doesn't work for you, then stop it. Because there are so many people who get Botox for migraines and it's been three years, four years, longer. And they they tell me, I ask them, do you think it's really helping you? And they say, I don't think so, but they keep getting their Botox. So if it's not working, why keep getting it? Yeah. Yeah. Especially 165 units. Jeez. Yeah. So give it like a, a period of time, try it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Then you move on to the next thing, but don't keep adding on. I'm a, I'm a, this is one of my pet peeves. I don't like polypharmacy. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> so to use multiple medications for the same thing is not my, my yep. strategy. So try yeah. one thing at a time, see if it works, if it doesn't. And it's true for anything, whether you're taking a supplement, a magnesium supplement or taking, you know, changing your diet in a certain way. If after three months, if it's not working for you, Stop, say, okay, I tried it, move on to the next strategy. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Good I know point. so many Thank people you. will will get on like four or five things and then they're like, which one worked for me and which one yeah. am I just continually taking and I don't actually need it and it's not causing me any benefits. But one thing I did want to say, and you might see this a lot, I personally have vision problems, meaning I'm nearsighted. And so I have to go to the eye doctor to get my contacts, which I don't know if you heard about the new AccuV, uh, UVB, UV. Uh, UVB, UV blocking, like 98%. Have you heard of those new contacts? Actually, I think all, not all, but most brands in the US um, have that UVA, UVB blocking in them. Most yeah. brands. So I had, the ones I had before were like 10 year old technology. And then I just got these and I will say like my night uh, blurriness and just seeing kind of things at night has gotten so much better when driving. Um, but yeah, I deal with nearsightedness. And so I have to go to the eye doctor, whereas my mom and my best friend, they don't have that. So they don't ever go to the eye doctor, but it is in your insurance to be allowed a visit. And so I think just one thing I want to say is if you struggle with any of these things, it's covered by insurance. And I think everybody should go to the eye doctor once a year, whether you have eye problems or you don't, because this is another question. Are you able to see diabetes before a patient is know that they have diabetes? Absolutely. So just to, just to speak on, to your first point there, um, any adult I would recommend um, above the age of 40 should go to an eye doctor every year every year because there are things that we can pick up on the exam, whether it's an eye issue or a systemic issue, whether it's high blood pressure, diabetes, we can pick all that stuff up on an eye exam. So definitely after the age of 40. Now, before the age of 40, it depends. You know, if you're having 
uh, an eye issue like what you have nearsightedness myopia, you should probably go every one to two years. If you're not having any eye issues and you're, let's say, between 20 to 40, maybe go every every five years just to get a checkup. Because we can, again, we can see things. The eyes are not just a window to your soul. They're a window to your health. And we mm-hmm. can up so much just on an eye exam. Wow, that that's crazy. And- I mean, there's so... People who have type 2 diabetes, um, which is the more common type of diabetes, many people have had high sugars for years before they actually end up with the diagnosis. So mm-hmm. sometimes there are people who have had high sugars for five years before they're officially diagnosed. And then that chronic increased sugar in the bloodstream can cause something called diabetic retinopathy. And we see things on the eye exam. And I've diagnosed countless of people with diabetes who never even knew that they had diabetes because of their eye exam. It's really important. It, it's so important. I mean, I'm going to show this episode to my mom because she's 55 and she just goes and buys a random prescription of readers from the eye doctor. I mean, I'm not from the eye doctor, from like Target. And she uses those to read. The, and I'm like, you don't even know what you're doing, what prescription you're using. I'm like, just go to the eye doctor. Uh, it's. I think it's just, especially when things are covered by your insurance, if you have insurance, I think it's just so important to, yeah. like you said, a lot of people put off the eyes, but you don't realize how important your eyes are until you don't have your eyes, you know? Yes. So yeah. don't uh, even like granted, don't take your vision for granted. Yes. Yeah. About it. You just saying that to me too. Uh, and you said, just saying that I'm like, Oh, I should make an eye doctor appointment. Cause I actually have had laser eye surgery. Um, gosh, now like 15 or 20, 15 years when it was like first coming, it was the best thing I ever did. I I was nearsighted worst vision ever. It was like a negative eight or something in one mm-hmm. eye. Um, it was so bad, but um, but yeah, ever I haven't even thought about it since I got the laser because it was so great for me. And I'm like, wow, I can wake up and see, you know, contacts by everything by. And now that you're saying that, I'm like, you're right. Like maybe I, I think I need to yeah. make just, a follow up. It should be part of your routine. Yeah, it's like we go to the dentist twice a year. We don't think yeah. about it. We just go. And our insurance covers in most cases. And yeah. same thing with your eyes. Just get them checked out periodically. Maybe not yeah. every year, but every couple right. of years, just get it checked out. Yeah. I'm going to. But, Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> Write it down, Allison. Hey, I did. Um, okay. This was another really big one. And it is I, – I don't know how to describe it and how many people commented on it. And maybe you haven't seen this before, but almost vibrating vision when your stress is heightened. Have you heard of that? So in terms of vibrating vision. Like shaky. Um, yeah. Like so maybe, a, maybe you're looking at an object and it like, it kind of, not like, not like that, but like you could see it almost twitch a bit. So that's there's what I hear a lot. That come to mind when you mention vibrating vision, two, two things that could be going on. Uh, the first thing would be if your eyes are actually jiggling where they're not, you know, when we look at something, our eyes are usually nice and stable and they're looking at the object, but sometimes the eyes actually jiggle. They go back and forth. And that's a medical condition called nystagmus. And nystagmus, you know, if if somebody has it, that definitely needs to be checked out. Mm-hmm. So if someone's having that type of vibrating vision where they literally see their whole world kind of like shaking back and forth really fast, definitely get that checked out. The other thing that can cause vibrating vision is something called visual snow. And uh, visual snow is a condition that uh, is probably much more common than what we think. Um, It's Mm -hmm. estimated that 
anywhere from two to three percent of the population may have visual snow. What visual snow is, is, and I see this a lot in my practice, I actually have visual snow as well myself, but it's an overlay of TV static. You know how like in the past, the TV screens, when they weren't tuned into a particular station, they would have this kind of shimmering gray and white static. Imagine that static, an overlay of that static over your entire vision. Not just a part of it, but the entire vision. You can still see through the static, but it's static. And so that can make it look like your whole world is shimmering or vibrating or just not stable. So those are the two things that can cause that type of symptom. Mm-hmm. And depending on what it, you know, what it is, whether it's like completely an overlay and it's there all the time, but maybe it gets worse when you're more anxious, that's probably visual snow. But if it's episodic where it's really truly coming and going, that is probably more nystagmus and it just needs to be checked out. Mm-hmm. Okay, that makes sense. Um, yeah. and then this is a big one. Brain zaps. Have you heard of brain zaps? And Why do they happen? Is it dangerous? Do you recommend getting those checked out? So I haven't heard it described in that way by, you know, brain zap. Um, Like ice pick, maybe? Ice pick headache? like Like a pain type of? I guess like a sharp pain that just comes and then is it's like one, two seconds, like a sharp, like little like brain pain. It's <laughs> a weird way to say it. Yeah. And then it just so goes I, away. I, I think if it's that short, you know, if it's like second, a second or less than a second, and it's just like once or twice, I wouldn't worry too much about it. But if it's like something repetitive, um, that's a little bit more concerning. Like if you're getting the same brain zap in the same spot over and over mm-hmm. again, whether it's a day or two or a week, that's not normal. But if it's, you know, just like a fleeting, like little, oh, what was that? You know, we get that. Like I was explaining, I was mentioning earlier, we get little aches and pains and mm-hmm. twitches all over our bodies. And sometimes it happens in our head. As long as it's like quick and as long as it's um, not always in the same spot, I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah. Well, people, one thing. People, oh, sorry. No, I just, I, I, I've, I'm thinking of all of these questions are so interesting because I hear so many of my clients that I work with have all these physical symptoms. And one thing, like if I put all of these together, there's a couple of my clients that have like a vestibular disorder. I don't know. I don't really know a lot about. They just explain to me what they're experiencing. You know, I'm not a doctor. So I, I research it a little bit, but um, they say it's vestibular disorder and they talk about like vertigo. Um, and this is inner ear thing. I don't know if it's even related to the eye. I mean, everything's connected, I guess, but I'm just curious if you've heard if yeah, people come so to see you for those. Definitely. Like, um, depending on what it is, people who have migraine are, some of them have this vestibular, we we'll call it a vestibular migraine, where they may not actually get the headache, you know, the typical headache we think of with migraine, but they actually may have like a bout of dizziness or vertigo where their entire room is spinning around them. Yeah. And it's brief, you know, it may last like a couple of hours or a day or two, and then it goes away. So that could be a type of vestibular syndrome um, related to migraine. Uh, People who have visual snow, you know, that condition I was mentioning earlier can also get um, uh, vestibular symptoms, whether it be imbalance or unsteadiness, um, or even tinnitus, which is ringing in the ears. Many, many people have ringing in the ears. Um, so that's pretty common too. But usually those types of things are episodic, where it just kind of comes and goes. Okay. Um, there are some people who have more vestibular symptoms, like on a daily basis, which can be really hard to manage. And I'm sure that must trigger a lot of anxiety because it's not 
not fun trying to navigate, walk around, you know, drive and do your work while you're feeling unsteady or imbalanced. So um, I think definitely in that situation, you need to kind of bring together different members of your care team, whether it be like a physical therapist or a vestibular therapist or um uh, you know, a mental health professional, whoever you need on your team to help you develop strategies to manage that, because it's not, it's not easy, definitely not easy to manage those types of symptoms. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you said that because that's, that's kind of what my guidance is for them on that part of their healing with me when I work with them is, is making sure they have a good care team. So, um, yeah, so I love that. Thank you. Dr. Ronnie. On top of all the questions you answered for us, I did some digging on you and you have a really cool looking book out. And I see you focus a lot on nutrition, which I am passionate about as a dietitian. If obviously people need to go read your book and do you have courses with nutrition too? And eyes? Yes. So um, in terms of the book, the book is called Beyond Carrots, Best yes. Foods for Eye Health A to Z. And I, I named it that because we all think, oh, if we just, many people think if they just eat some carrots, their eyes will be fine. But <laughs> there's lots more nutrients we need. So the book is coming out soon. It's going to be out, I hope, by the end of January. Okay. Um, and it's going to be available on Amazon. And to go along with that, I have a cookbook as well. So I have a Beyond Carrots cookbook with lots of great recipes. Um And that's actually available right now on Amazon. The cookbook came out before the book itself. But along with that, I do offer a lot of online courses. And there's a a, a really um, comprehensive online course that I'm launching this year called Ageless Eyes. And uh, it covers a lot of the issues we talked about today. For example, trouble reading, um, light sensitivity, dry eyes, floaters. Um, It covers all of that. And it gives people... Uh, strategies, like multiple different types of strategies that they can use to manage those issues and heal themselves. Because a lot of, again, I designed this course because so many of my patients have been to see like a million eye care providers before they came to see me. And what I tell them is if you do these things, you can really help manage, navigate your your way through these vision issues. So I wanted to get this message out to a larger audience. And so I developed this online course. So um, if people are interested, they can um, visit my my course portal website and sign up. Um, again, it's called Ageless Eyes by Dr. Ronnie. It has four different modules, dry eye, focusing, uh, light sensitivity, and then the beauty solution, because I know a lot of people want to keep their eyes looking ageless and youthful. And I also have other courses. If anyone, any of your listeners are have visual snow, I have a great course on visual snow called the Visual Snow Masterclass. And I have some other courses um, in the works as well, one on digital eye strain. So stay tuned for that. Oh, so amazing. I will link all of this in the show notes. And okay, if people could leave this podcast with three top foods they could start implementing into their lives, what are your three favorites? Okay. So I would say um, green leafy vegetables. It's not a single food, but it's a class of food because they actually provide our eyes with um, specific nutrients. Our eyes need to stay healthy. I call these like our eye vitamins and not many foods have them, but the green leafy vegetables do. So that would be um, the first on the list. So like spinach, kale, collard greens, Swiss chard, all of that. Uh, The second thing I would say are berries, any kind of berry. Uh, blueberries and blackberries probably can uh, have the most bang for your buck because of their deep pigments that are very protective against many eye conditions. Um, and also strawberries, raspberries, goji berries, any kind of berry is great. And then the third food would be um, some kind of 
uh, a seed. So for example, chia seeds, flax seeds, and hemp seeds. Uh, these provide healthy omega-3s that are really great for eye health in many respects. So dry eye, it helps with dry eye, macular degeneration. So those are kind of, I didn't specify single food, but like food groups that yeah, I Yeah, yeah, no, no, that's amazing. Be- beyond carrots, guys, obviously. <laughs> I, I love I, that. I love all of those ingredients because it just, you described the perfect smoothie to me. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, that's like, what I recommend is to have a smoothie every day and you'll get all those yeah. nutrients just yes. in one, one go. So yeah, yeah, I smoothie. love it. Yeah, no, that that's amazing. And I love that you are you bring in nutrition because I think nutrition is such a huge part in so many people's conditions. When they start getting their lifestyle and nutrition intact, they see a lot of things disappear. My mom was a migraine sufferer. And when she cut out Diet Cokes, artificial sweeteners, and certain ingredients, guys, her migraines went away. So sometimes it's all about just having that education on how it really is correlated. And I think a lot of doctors do not learn this in their medical school. And so for you to go on and, and get that extra training is just so amazing and can help heal so many people. So Dr. Ronnie, thank you so much for coming on. I mean, this episode is full of so much amazing information. Uh, Allison, I don't so, I know you said you didn't you didn't have any eye questions in the beginning, but you seemed to develop some as we went along. That's <laughs> like <laughs> It was so amazing. I, you know, I, yeah, because I had checked out your page and I was like, oh wow, she is like the, the real deal. And I mean, so much that I've I've taken away knowing that I'm going to make an eye doctor appointment, 100 um, percent, to follow up, and just all of the connection between you know the eyes and our body and our it's it's so interesting to me. I love it. Thank you so much. Yeah, I did have one more thing actually. So a lot of people listening. This is really cool. In my family history, especially now with 23andMe and genetics, I have actually found that I'm predispositioned to macular degeneration. And so I think that nowadays we are going to start learning a lot about genes and how we can access uh, predispositions and all of that. And so I think that this is something, what you're doing is really cool because I can start learning about macular degeneration and beat it ahead of time rather than like when you get things and then you treat it, but that prevention standpoint of things, focusing on prevention. So glad you brought that up because 23andMe is so common. And actually I took it as well. And I also have that same gene for macular Mm -hmm. degeneration. That actually prompted me to create a course on it. So I have another course on Mac and prevention. And what I try to tell my patients is, you know, some of them will say, well, Dr. Ronnie, I don't have any eye issues. I'm perfectly fine. I'm just here for a regular checkup. And I said, well, now this is the best time for you to start being proactive. And an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of cure when it comes to your eye health, because what you do today is going to impact your eyes 20, 30, 40 years down the road. So if you start getting those healthy eye habits today in place, you will be uh, protecting your eyes for decades to come. So you're on the right track for sure. I, I couldn't think of a better doctor to kick all this off for our series, guys. Thank you for listening. Uh, go check out Dr. Ronnie's Instagram. I'm going to link everything in the show notes, all of her courses, her website, and all of that. Go check her out. Go follow her. You have some cute reels. You're so cute when you do all your stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you so much for coming on. Allison, any final words? No, just thank you. And can you? I don't know if you said this yet, but what's your Instagram handle? It's at Dr. Ronnie Bannock. Okay, great. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, right. Thank you for having me. It's, it's been a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye, guys. Seeking the truth never gets old. 
Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the Roaring Twenties. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device, or play on PC through Facebook games.